So the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast, this is Bardi back again for another week in the pre-season podcast world, uh, and on this pre-season podcast we've got the North Queensland Cowboys that we're going to be doing a team preview of, and also the Canberra Raiders. So this week's guest is an old podcast host from the Points Per Minute podcast, which is a fantastic podcast It has taken a hiatus the last 12 months, but a lot of people would know Andrew Scanlon from the Points Per Minute podcast, uh, also better known as Cowboy to some. Uh, and what better person, Cowboy, to get on and do the Cowboys preview than, than Cowboy himself, mate? Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, cheers, Barzi. Yeah, it's, it's good to be back, mate. Looking forward to uh, looking through the Cowboys and, and, yeah, the Raiders as well. How did you find last season, first of all, with obviously the COVID effects and everything else? And um, how are you finding this quick off-season for Supercoach? Are you raring to go or are you you're scrambling a little bit? I uh, scrambling a little bit, to be honest. Last year, I had an sh- absolute shocker. Um, I think quite a few of us did. Definitely going to invest some more thought over the next fortnight. And, um, yeah, I'm really pumped for this season, actually. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm hoping COVID doesn't affect it, but I'll um, see how we go, eh? Yeah, for sure. I mean, fingers crossed everything's going fairly well, so hopefully it'll be a non-interrupted season. Uh, as far as the points per minute goes, a lot, you know, pretty popular podcast. A lot of people loved it. I like listening to it as well. Is it going to... Make a return at some point triumphantly. Uh, thanks, mate. Well, we'll see about triumphantly. But um, look, I, I was planning on getting back into it this year, but um, unfortunately, yep, still still flat strap with work and everything. So um, look, I've decided to take one more season off, and I'm really hoping to get back into it um, next season because I'm I'm really missing doing the podcast. I, I love doing it. Yeah, just unfortunately, time's gotten the better of me. So I think the smart move for me would be to take one more year off and get back into it next year. Yeah, it is. It is really, really time-consuming, as my wife tells me quite often. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, it's certainly not easy. Like a lot of people think that it's um, probably a bit. Even me, when I started doing this several years ago, like I always thought that it was a bit easier. And I jumped on a couple of podcasts where I didn't have to own the podcast, so it was like even yeah. then I thought it was a lot easier. But when you actually have to spend you know, a day editing stuff and do it. It's, it's very time-consuming, um, especially when you've got full-time jobs. So completely understand where you're coming from, mate, but you're always welcome to jump on here as a guest. On that note, go through your North Queensland Cowboys. So as far as the uh, roster goes, uh, new faces, we've got Lachlan Burr over from the Warriors, pretty good forward depth signing. Uh, and then Jarvid Bowen's apparently just today been announced that he's coming back, which is mm. interesting. Kane Bradley from the Tigers, who hasn't played NRL yet. Uh, as far as losses go, there's been probably more losses than what there have been. New faces coming in. Gavin Cooper's retired, probably about time. He had a fantastic Cowboys career, though, after he came over from Penrith. Tom O, over at the Eels, probably going to get the starting centre role. Uh, John Asiata uh, has been pretty good for the Cowboys, and he's off to the Broncos. Simpkins off to the Tigers, and then uh, basically guys that haven't played first grade. So not a huge amount of change on the roster side of things. Uh, before we get into the actual draw, how are you actually feeling about the, the roster and your chances with the brand new coach under Peyton for 2021 season? 
it's it's really difficult. Like I mean, Cowboys being such an inconsistent side, um, it's hard to really get your hopes up with them. But um, I think with that um, very similar spine, um, with you know Holmes and and Drinkwater and Morgan and and Robson, I'm I'm actually. I don't know. I think they'll scrape into the eight this year, but I think the draw has a lot to do with that as well. Uh, they've been, I know you said we'll get into the draw in a sec, but they've been handed quite a nice draw this season. So, um, look, the, the team on paper hasn't changed that much, has it really? But, you know, maybe some, um, you got the additions in the edge forwards and stuff like that and, and the addition on the bench, but um, I think it'll be a very similar season and I think the draw is the only thing that may even um, push them into the eight. I'm not going to be surprised if they actually scrape into the eight and get that seventh or eighth position. I, I think it's actually going to be a, a fairly good season for them, but hopefully that, that draw at the start of the season can, can let them get a roll on. I'm not too sure what to make of the Cowboys because obviously they've got some really talented players led by Jason Tamalolo. And hopefully Valentine Holmes will have a healthy season and Michael Morgan will be back. So they've obviously got some talent there, but I'm I'm not hugely in a vacuum confident on them making the eight at all. I still think that they're mm. going to be one of the... Um, uh, I'd probably put them as a bottom six type of side. Sort of that yeah, sense. that's fair. Yeah, but having said that, like your point is really, really valid. And I did kind of rethink how I see where the Cowboys fit just purely based on the draw. So... They do have a really good draw to start with, and football teams can take a lot of confidence and also make it easier for themselves getting cohesion and starting a season off and getting some plays running against easier opposition if they've got a good draw. So I actually really like it for the Cowboys. It's one of the reasons that I'm pretty big on them for Supercoach for 2021. So let's have a quick talk about that before we get into the actual player discussions. Uh, they kick off with Penrith, which is going to be a little bit harder. Uh, obviously a good side and it's not going to be at home. But then they got back-to-back home games against the Dragons and then the Gold Coast Titans. So that's definitely a couple of easier ones at home. They play two away games then in rounds four and five, but it is against the Sharkies and Tigers, two other sides I don't expect to be making the eight. Uh, and then they hit both the Bulldogs and the Raiders at home, the Warriors away. And that's sort of the first couple of months of the draw. Uh, they do have round 13 off as well, which will help the the Cowboys in real life. Uh, I don't know at all. Mm. Um, it's not as good for Supercoach if they're not playing that first one. But when looking at the first couple of months, and I always I always say this, Cowboy, that I'm looking at the first couple of months of the season, really, when I'm looking at round one selections and buys for Supercoach, it's a, it's a really nice draw. Like, you can really say that first six rounds, Penrith are the only side that I think is going to actually make the eight. Uh, I can see the Dragons, Titans, Sharks... Tigers and Bulldogs all missing the A. They are all sides that can give up a fair few points. And really, round two to six, I think I'll be hard-pressed to say that any other team's got a better draw than you guys. It's true, mate. And, um, I mean, probably, or arguably, the best draw of the of all the 16 teams because they've got that, that opening um, favourable draw. They've also got a great draw at the back end of the season as well, um, which it, it may entice some coaches to start with players like Holmes and Morgan um, and maybe even Masters. But, um, you know, I, I suppose, let's keep in mind, we can't really rely too much on attacking stats, but um, especially when it comes to such an inconsistent team in the Cowboys. But, um, as I said before, I can, I can see them scraping into the eight due to their draw. It wouldn't surprise me if they even finished as low as, let's just say, you know, 10th to 12th. It's, it's not going to be a shock whatsoever. Um, but I, I think that draw is just going to do them 
a lot of favours this season. I'm not sure how the new coach will affect their performance, although they do need that that fresh burst into the team. A lot of them, a lot of the players did look a little bit low last season, I think, as well. As a Cowboys fan, I am quite excited about it. I tell you what, though, if they had a, a Broncos-esque type draw this season, then I wouldn't be as excited, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Like, the draw's going to help them heaps. And I think with a new coach, too, it can't be understated enough how much a, a good early draw can help. Because, I mean, yeah. when you're winning games and when things are coming off for you, your trust and belief in the coach and the system really... It's so much easier to get on board with the whole team. And then the culture changes and everyone knows like, you know, a happy team's a winning team. It's very true. So if you get the wind mm. on the board early, you know, you got, I think you're going to have a lot of guys that are believing in Peyton and supporting Peyton. And once you do that, you kind of get a bit of momentum. If you start off really hard, like, you know, baptism of fire debut coaching isn't the best. Yeah. I don't exactly. think anyone's going to really want that if they're, <laughs> if they're taking over a non top eight side. Um, and going into their first head coaching role, you know, that's, it's a killer. So, I mean, you know, someone like Kevin Walters, I think, is in a much worse position. Yeah, so the, as far as super coach goes, you mentioned an interesting thing too with the draw. Uh, it, it's got some other good facets of it at the back end as well. Now, not as relevant for your round one selections, obviously, but it, it is good to note that, you know, there's teams that they start off with, like the Dragons, the Titans, the Tigers, uh, and the Sharks that we mentioned that I don't think are top eight sides that they actually get to play twice. Um, the Broncos, they get to play twice as well. Whereas teams like, um, you know, the Rabbits and the Storm and the Panthers uh, and the Raiders as well, they only play those sides once each. So mm. there's a lot of bottom eight sides from last year or fringe sides like the Sharkies and might fall out of the eight who they get to play twice and they do manage to avoid a lot of the better teams uh, on a second go around. That's right, yeah, and that's a good point, Barnsley. Like that, um, that opening draw, um, it will give them the momentum to, you know, go and face those more difficult teams as soon as round ten comes because they've got the Roosters there, um, as well straight after that uh, favourable period, and um, and obviously they've got the um, the stretch there where you know in the mid part of the season, just the back end of the uh, Origin period or the buy period, they've got the uh, the Bunnies, the Roosters, and Melbourne um, all in a row. Um, what's that's done? They've got a quite a favourable draw to finish the season. So, yeah, interesting season for the Cowboys actually. And um, yeah, no, I am I am quite excited about it. I don't know. We'll have to remember this podcast when the when the uh, finals time comes because I tell you what, like I reckon the the Cowboys will be finishing that season playing uh, Titans, uh, West Para, St George, and Manly, trying to fight for that eighth position. Yeah. Uh, look. If they play to the strength of that draw and to their full talent level and things go their way, you know, they, they might prove me wrong. Um, I'm going to peg them for, uh, around 10, 11. And I think that their yeah. range is sort of 10 to 16. But, um, yeah, look, they could have a, a good season, especially to start with. Prides a few teams. Let's start to talk about some of the players though for Supercoach. Let's start off with the guns. Now, when we're talking guns and the North Queensland Cowboys, there really is only one man that comes immediately to mind, and that is Jason Tomalolo. Now, Tomalolo had another fantastic year, 72 points a game, uh, and he managed to do that, interestingly enough, in slightly less minutes. So mm. uh, 60, 61 minutes a game he ended up averaging last season. The two seasons prior, in 19 and 18, he ended up going 64 minutes per year, uh, and in 2017, 63 minutes. So his minutes actually dropped a few, which is normally sort of three or four points for Tomalolo, but it ended up translating from 2019 into six points. So he dropped from 78 points per game in 2019 to 72 in 2020. 
Um, however, you know, back in 2018, he was getting more minutes and he only managed 70 a game. He's been 70s for four years straight. He's obviously a huge gun. When you're having a look at his scores from 2020, um, it does get quite interesting. So I guess, Andrew, there's always the issue with, especially second row forward, you know, who are you going to start with? Because the problem is you can't buy everyone. You know, so I've, I've spoken about my love of, of Angus, uh, Angus Crichton is one, um, who I haven't spoken about actually, but I will be. And I've spoken about my love of, of Madison as well and how much I think that he's probably the best second row forward that you could have even above Tom Malolo. So mm. it's, it's hard because, you know, if you want to, Angus Crichton, Tom Malolo, Madison, all in your second row, and then there's some other guys too that warrant discussion. You're spending a lot of cash there. So I actually had to say to myself, look, you're going to have to sacrifice one for the start. Who's it going to be? And I decided it was Tom Malolo at the moment. Now, that may very well change because I'd really like to have him. It has been a little bit of a fallacy recently that he can start off slow because he actually started off last year on fire. Mm. When we're looking at 2020, his first three games and then he missed one, but his first three games are key. He went 70 points, 99 points, and 75 points. And he did that in 73, 72, and 59 minutes. Starting off the season at 73 and 72 minutes last year was huge because normally um, in years past there was a tendency to maybe bring him in a bit slower, uh, maybe build his minutes up, and there was that chance that maybe he would start slightly slower than what he normally does. He didn't actually do it in 2020. Now, as far as 2019 goes, um, Tom came in and he... Um, had a good game, but then he immediately got injured. And when he came back, um, you know, he was sort of round eight and he went 58 minutes and 63 minutes to start with. But then he went on a bit of a roll again. So it's, I think that the last couple of years, the, the, the idea or narrative of Tomalolo may be starting, you know, a bit slower in the heat, maybe getting a few less minutes and stuff has kind of dissipated. Basically it's gone. Um, yeah. he has been starting pretty strongly. So. I guess there's going to be a lot of people, Andrew, that say Jason Tomalolo should be your first pick. Um, he averaged 72 a game last year. There is cause to say that he's undervalued. You know, he could very well go back up to 76 points a game. They do have a draw where he could very well bust through and get those line breaks, tackle breaks that we're used to seeing from him, the build-up mm. bulk points, and he could go over for more tries than what he did in 2020. And you know, that's the scary part for me. So... I'm not saying that he's a bad buy. I think he's a fantastic buy. Definitely, I would like to be starting with Tom Malolo. Do you think that I'm crazy to choose, you know, Madison, Angus Crichton, and a bit of depth over him? Or uh, do you think that maybe there's an argument for that? There's definitely, oh, mate, there's definitely an argument for that. And, I mean, the thing about Crichton and uh, Madison is that attacking potential, it's it's very difficult to um, leave them out of your side when they've got so much attacking potential there. Uh, whereas Lolo is more of a... Um, I guess in a way, a, oh, I don't know, maybe even a safety pick where he's got that, um, very high floor. Um, I mean, honestly, he'll be the only cowboy I'll be starting with this season. Um, I can't actually see myself starting with anyone else. He's got that points per minute and that average that we all want in super coach, but those games at the back end of last season where he played reduced minutes, I mean, that's brought his price down that little bit where it's made him more appealing. Look, I don't think, you know, leaving Lolo out for Madison and or Crichton definitely wouldn't be a bad choice, obviously. And, and even starting Lolo was a bit of a safety thing there um, where he could actually break out and produce a few more of those attacking stats, especially playing those weaker sides at the start of the season. That's also a good option as well. So uh, but you can argue 
either way, obviously, couldn't you? And I mean, you're right. Like that that theory where he um he struggles to start the season because of the heat. That's kind of it's gone now, isn't it? And he proved that last year. Um, I loved how he started last season with a bang, just averaging what is it eighty ish over the opening seven rounds. And um, yeah, I think just for that that reason as well. Um, plus the Cowboys draw. I know he's a forward and he's not a forward notorious for um attacking or base attack, but yeah, I, I I can't leave him out of my starting side, but yeah, there's an argument either way. You can definitely throw in Crichton and, and Madison and, and go for that attacking potential there. Yeah, and I mean, look, he's you hit the nail on the head as far as his his really good floor because his base raw base is 59, and he's always going to get at least mm. a couple of tackle breaks. So his base base attack is going to bring into mid 60s at a minimum. Um, you know, he's going to he's going to get yep. that type of score. So that's that's really really appealing. Having said that, one of the things that I will raise from a stats point of view that does stick out is that when you look at his 2020 season, if you go down the games and you compare them to someone like Madison, um, you know, he had, he had fewer games in the 90s than Madison did. Uh, Madison went on like a, a four or five week tear of every game being in the 90s. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Angus mm. Crichton went on some tears too when he actually got the jersey, got used to it and was getting his 80 minutes. Um, so it's, it, Lolo seems to have a lot of scores last year that were that 60 to 75 range. And that was really, the vast majority of his scores were in that range. He only had one ton at 109 points. And he only had four scores outside of that 70 range. And that was a, a 99, an 86, an 85, and 109. So, yeah, they're all fantastic scores. Uh, but I guess when I'm looking at the numbers as well, my hope if I don't own him, and I may very well end up putting him in my side somehow, <laughs> but my hope if I don't own him is that he does just stay that real solid, bankable 60 to 75 range. Because if he stays at that, at 640,000, and someone like Madison can take advantage of the draw that he has and average that 85 to 90, which he managed to do in, in a long period of time in last season, then I think you're winning. And one of the last things I'll say on Tom Lolo, he will be the most owned second row forward, I'm pretty sure, out of the guns. I don't think that anyone like Madison or, or Crichton or any of these other guys are going to come close to him. So if you can get a, a 10 to 15 point jump a week on your opposition on that head to head for Lolo versus Madison, um, yeah, that's, that can be worth it. But, you know, if he starts the season off and has a 95, 120 because he draws fantastic <laughs> and people captain him, then all of a sudden you're really behind, aren't you? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult decision, and I mean, yeah, you're right. Like the the choice to um, own Madison, I think, is a must. To be honest, uh, this season. So I think you do need to start the season with Madison, and I mean, that's when you've got to decide on your other second row forwards and, and where you're going to invest your money in your team. Like, is it is it really worth owning all three and stinging on other positions and, and trying to get that um, points per minute from the mid ranges in other positions just to afford these three players? It's, it's a very difficult decision. But um, look, I'll start with Lolo, and I'll be starting with Madison. But they might be my only two uh, big money options in the second row forwards. I think it's probably the best way to go, to be honest. Yeah, and look, if the if the cheapies fall right, you know, it could be a case of if you get like a starting front row forward cheapie, then it might be easier. And and I'm not saying like you you can start with Angus, uh, with Tomalolo and Madison. You could do it. Mm, like, there, there is yeah. those team builds out there, but it's just a matter of whether you're happy to sacrifice. You know, I've seen a few different strategies to sacrifice. One of them has been uh, just today I saw someone that decided they were going to go the dirty hooker strategy, where they were going to go two 
two cheap mid-range hookers. Uh, I believe it was Hodgson and Little that they were going mm. with, um, and that's one strategy to be able to afford it. Uh, the other was going with um, only one expensive half and then going mid, mid-halves. Uh, that was interesting as well. Uh, the yeah. other one was obviously the, the dirty, dirty, dirty centre uh, setup, <laughs> which is very, very popular, but uh, I always like to have it like a one decent centre at least, which I've said before. The one that I really don't like, and I'd probably say, you know, we always say everyone on this podcast, including me, but every single person that jumps on says, there's more than one way to skin Supercoach. You can do it so many different ways it will work. It's just about working out what the best strategy and makeup of your team is. One of the ones that isn't going to work, though, is I've seen it. Don't go the non-two-gun fullbacks to fund, you know, mm. the, the low oh. and the, the big gun second rowers. You know, I think fullbacks, one of the spots, don't over-strategize it, get two-gun fullbacks. But all the rest of them, you know, I've seen decent arguments that that's a way to, to get Tomalolo and all the other best forwards into your pack. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, there's, it's not even an option not to run with two gun fullbacks, honestly. I, I don't mind the one gun to semi gun centre wing with three dirty, um, centre wings. We've got a few options there, don't we, this season? So, um, that definitely is an option. And honestly, that, that Hodgson little combo in the hookers, you can't, I mean, look, you can, you can pick at it if you want, but it's not really a bad option, is it, at all? That PPM will be solid, so. Um, yeah, the option is there to run with a, a gun forward pack. And, um, yeah, just don't skimp on your fullbacks. That's pretty much the only rule, isn't it? Yeah, I think so as well. So there's a few different things for people to play around with. Um, I think that we know Tom Malolo's a gun, though. I think that we know that he's a fantastic buy for round one. So certainly you should be looking at him for your side. I'm probably going to end up trying to fit him in after this podcast, <laughs> though, because I'm just so worried. I just oh, really want gosh. him. It's just so hard for round one. I need, um, I need a Wilfred Z salary cap so I can yeah, yeah. get them all in. <laughs> it's so true. And, yeah, he's one of those players that you, you sit there every week and you're a little bit nervous when he's not on your side, isn't he? I can just see him running at some of these packs. Like, it really worries me looking at the draw. Uh, I mean, the other thing that you can kind of cling on to if you are going to try and run without him is that if the Cowboys are firing, and it did happen a couple of games last year, actually, um, where... They played well, but they and they kept scoring tries. A couple of their big wins, and Lolo ended up, you know, a lot of the time just waiting for conversions to happen and back waiting to take the hit up off the kickoff and stuff. And the backs were kind of carving up. You know, Drinkwater was dominating a lot of possessions, and and it was all going through their back lines because they were carving. So yeah, it can go that way sometimes. But I do remember really, really vividly one game where that exact thing was happening, and it was all fine. And then like I don't know, sixty five, seventy minutes in. Tom Lolo just took a run like 50 metres out from nowhere, just stepped, went through three tackles, went around the fullback and just scored a try. And it was just brutal because it was like a 45-point run. So Yeah, that's, exactly. That's what he can do to you. So, uh, yeah, Tom Lolo is a great option this year. Um, he is a decent, safe captaincy option if you've got a big VC pun as well. Um, I, I'd probably rate Madison above him still. Uh, I think it's Maddo, and then you can basically take your pick. Uh, maybe... Maybe I'll end up leaving Angus Crichton now for Tom Lolo, even though I'm a Rooster supporter. That might make more sense for me. But great player. <laughs> I'm sure he'll do well. Let's talk about another gun for the Cowboys, Andrew. So mm-hmm. this one's a little bit more controversial, and I'll say because you know they don't have a huge amount of guns, but one gun that they did have last year that many people weren't really giving credit to was Josh McGuire. So Josh McGuire was kind of a popular buy when he, he I think when he left Brisbane and came over to the Cowboys. Uh, and then he kind of sputtered and was really, you know, a 50s type of 
plotter at best where he was just getting some good base but not really doing mm. anything else. And it, it was a bit of a useless buy and I think a lot of people were disappointed. So because of that, I don't think many people looked at him, me included, very much last year. Uh, but last year he actually averaged 64 points a game after coming off 54 points and 51 points the two seasons before. He did that on a raw base of 61 points. Now, you really need him to be at that level because he's not going to get a huge amount of anything else. He didn't score a try all year. Um, he's not going to get your line breaks. He's not really going to get assists either. He might get the odd offload, but you know, really it's all about his raw base. And he did that at 61 points per game of his 64 points per game. That meant that in 2020, 65% of the time, he scored over 60 points. Now, that is huge. Um, it's a really good floor. It does mean that he didn't really deviate much, though. So, you know, the highest score that he had of the season was 84. Um, nothing else was over, sort of mid to high 70s. Uh, and he had a few stinkers in there where it was sort of 47, 46, 48, those type of scores, which he does have in him. Um, but the other key is that he was, he was averaging 66 minutes a game. Uh, and there is really some talk that you could make a narrative that he's a bit underpriced still. Because at the end of the season, he was carrying a few injuries. He actually had a couple of lower-minute games at 53 and 51 minutes per game. And he started off the season as well at only 55 and then ramped into it because he was coming back from a small injury uh, into round two, when, which was his first game. So he's he's one that averaged 64 points a game. Um, I do think that someone like him could lend themselves to what Todd Payton likes in his forwards. And mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think that he might be a bit of a Todd Payton kind of favourite, um, but I'm kind of hesitant to look at him, but he deserves the credit. And look, he could be someone that maybe goes up to sort of a 66-point average or something, um, at which point you have to kind of say, well, 560,000, if I can't stack my second row with all these guns that are sort of 650 to 700, maybe a Josh McGuire is someone that I should look at. And that's fair too, especially with that um, DPP status as well, just to have that player in the in the second row forward or the front row forwards. Um, and, and I was thinking the same thing too. He does kind of um, lend himself to Peyton's style, um, which could benefit him um, in the super coach world. It is a little bit um, concerning with those um, scattered scores in the 40s, but as you said, he was carrying an injury last season as well. Um, I, I do think there are far better options in those positions, um, and the forwards aren't exactly um, a super coach position you want to be risking inconsistency. And I suppose Maguire, while he does he does have that potential to be consistent, um, I, I just can't help look at last season as a little bit of a I don't know linger in the back of your mind type thing. Where um, do I really want to have a player in my team, a forward um, at 560k that can produce those those lower scores? Um, but in saying that, yeah, that that whole thing about suiting Peyton's style, that kind of I don't know that that does convince me to give him a crack. He he doesn't have a spot in my current makeup in, in my super coach team, but um there are definitely worse options. I, I think that DPP position sorry, the DPP status will actually convince a few players to start with him, but I don't think that too many coaches would have even looked at him um so far this season. He's not that popular super coach player, is he? No, he's not popular at all. And I mean like one of the drawbacks of him is if you are gonna start with him he doesn't play the first buy, so you're going to be trading him before that. And you're not going to mm. make any money. Like, you know, if you had someone, like if Angus Crichton, you know, from a year ago was here, he, he starts off the season a bit cheaper, and you know that he's going to go across the line and have a huge 110, 120-point game. You just know it's going to come. And he's going to mm-hmm. then go up in price, and you're going to be able to trade him out at maybe sort of at least 50, 60, 70K more 
um, and make something out of it as well as take the points early on. With Maguire, he, d- he doesn't fluctuate. You know, he doesn't have those big scores to be able to fluctuate. He's always going to be around the same price point. Yeah. So uh, you're not going to be able to on-sell him and make anything out of it. And because of that, it might be better just to sit and watch and see because you're going to be able to buy him for about the same price as he starts with because he's not undervalued. But the last con that I'll leave you with, though, um, and I've tried to be a bit positive on Maguire because he deserves it with how he went last year. He has played 66 minutes a game in a season prior, and that was in 2018. And in that season, he did not average 64 points a game like in 2020. Same minutes, and he averaged 51 points a game. Yep. <laughs> so that kind of tells you the floor that you could be dealing with. Exactly right. And, and to add to that, um, I mean, at the start of the season, we're looking for upside, aren't we? And I mean, considering he's doesn't have that round 13 availability, and he will hover around that same price, you know, there are definitely going to be better options out there. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be pushing him to the side, mate. Um, and I think by the sounds of it, you will too. Yeah, for sure. He's he's definitely to the side. Um, I, I understand him as a consideration, though. And he, he is someone who had a, a pretty underrated supercoach season that beat um, a lot of other players um, that were probably a lot more fancy. If I was going to go for a, a meat and potatoes type of guy like what Maguire is, it's going to have a high floor. Um, someone like 12... He's a very similar type of player, and he's sort of 500k, um, and he's probably got more upside and the youth on his side than what Maguire has. So I think that that's sort of the comparison that you can make, and 12 would be the better buy out of the two if you want to spend a bit less. Uh, but let's keep going on the gun route. Um, I've got a big balls pod gun that I'm going to talk about. He wasn't, <laughs> he wasn't quite a gun in 2020. This is going to be really interesting because last preseason... I smashed this bloke as an option. Like I, I said to everyone, like I don't, I don't try and talk anyone out of buying most players, but this guy, don't go near him. Big mistake. Everyone's expectations are crazy, uh, and that was Valentine Holmes. So I, mean, I, re- I remember that podcast, and I joined you. I smashed the hell out of him as well. Hey, honestly, I was <laughs> right there with you. <laughs> well, look, look, he deserved it. He was, he's been out of the game for ages. Um, he, he didn't have a huge run of playing fullback consistently anyway. Uh, we didn't know that he was definitely going to keep uh, have the goal kicking straight away and everything. It was a bit of an unknown. But, you know, he still didn't have a great season, but that's why I like him so much for this season. So mm. going through it, um, the tail of the tape is that he came in and averaged 58 points a game in 2020. Now, I feel vindicated in what I said because that was well below, you know, people saying he was going to average 70 points and a lot of craziness. Yeah, 58 points a game was... Um, you know, nine points down on what he did in 2018 as it was. Um, and it was in the 50s, which was my concern. And I kind of said last preseason, the guy's a 50s type of player. He might have yeah. some upside, you know, if he picks it up. And, you know, the upside was basically his kicking, you know, because in 2016, he was 49 points. 2017, he was 51. Had a big 2018, but in 2020, you know, if he wasn't kicking, he would have been more around that 50 mark. So, yeah, he didn't do a lot different than before, but, I think when you mentioned it before, Andrew, it's all about value. Now, this is why, to me, Valentine Holmes is huge value. He's a fullback, and he's playing, he's center wing eligible. So you can chuck him in your center wing. He's about 500K, so he's not going to hugely break the bank. That's a cheaper price point than last season. We saw last year he's going to have the goal kicking. Okay, so that's going to be there. Goal kicking fullback, you can have it center wing for 500K. Ticks a lot of boxes that you'd need to tick mm. just to throw him straight in, but... The thing I like about his undervalue is that he's got two games that were directly injury affected, and he's got two more games where he played on the wing. 
Well, actually, one of his injured games was on the wing. But So that's out of his 12 games played, three out of those 12, 25%, were completely affected by either being injured where he's played 27 minutes and 41 minutes um, and another game that he also played on the wing, uh, which one of his injured games was on the wing as well. So that's really promising. The other thing too is that last season, when he played bad teams, he carved them up. And yeah. That was that's good to see because I expect him to be better this year for the run last year. Played the Broncos round one for 69 points. Bulldog 63. Massive 102 points against the Titans. Um, yeah, he had another big game against Saints for 93 points. Another big game for the Broncos, 104 points. Did the double ton on the two Broncos matchups. Oh, sorry, the two Queensland matchups with the Titans and the and the Broncos. Yeah, it had some really good scores against bad teams. Guess what? He's, he's a year back in the rugby league. His goal kicking, we know that. He's cheaper. He's dual. And he's playing a lot of bad teams. Like it's, it ticks a lot of boxes for center wing for me. He's straight in my side. Mate, you know what's going to happen this year? Like, we're going to talk him up and he's going to fail. It's going to be the complete opposite <laughs> of last year. But mate, no, this guy's giving me a headache, to be honest, because he, he hasn't fit into my center wings for the time being. But you're right. He just ticks all the boxes. And to re- reiterate what you said, like, he's obviously the goal kicker for the club with the easiest draw at the start of the season. Massive tick there. Like, the draw isn't just favorable. It's as if the NRL has given the Cowboys every chance to start the season strong with a ridiculously easy draw. And now Holmes, is also one of those backs that can produce monster scores, as you said, his, but his floor is also terrible. Um, but one thing we need to note from last season, as you said, um, if we took out those poor games where he was coming in and out of injury, that was around at uh, two points in the middle of the season. Um, he actually performed quite well, um, scoring what, one poor performance against his round one opponent this season, um, Panthers. And I think if coaches take those positives on board, then we'll see numerous coaches taking the punt on homes. And I reckon these guys will be rewarded nicely. Um, in saying all that, he's not currently in my round one side, but um, I might just do a tamalolo of what you're doing, and he might find his way into my side come round one. <laughs> that's that's every that's every centre-wing box ticked. Like, you know, a full-back with goal-kicking duty, Easy draw. Well, what can you say, really? 500k is not that bad, considering. No, and like, I've spoken on every podcast about, I like to have one foundation type of centre wing that I can rely on a little bit. Like, because mm. if you go, like, you know, rookie price to 250k in four starting spots, there's a chance all four of them are going to score 15 points. You know, and it's just, yeah. it's just going to kill you, absolutely kill you. Whereas if at least you've got someone like Valentine Holmes in, like, he could throw up a ton or 90 points. And the other three scoring 15, it evens out a lot better. So I'm all, I like going cheap in the center wing at times, more, sometimes a lot more than others, but I always have one guy in there for round one that I can sort of throw in to try and get a big score out of. And Holmes has a goal kicking. And like I said, I expect more from him this year because he's got the year under his belt back in rugby league. Like it can't be understated how much he changed his body, you know, how many, like how he was like two years removed from playing and all that. Like it's, it's a big deal. It's a really, really big deal. And even like last season, he had the injuries. I don't think COVID affecting things, stopping after round two helps him at all um, because it's a stop start. And he really had an interrupted season. So it's like you said, it ticks all the boxes. He does have the lower scores in him. Like he's, he went through a three-game run playing fullback where he went 32, 38, and 32 points. I think two out of three of those, or maybe even all three, were, were losses for the Cowboys, though. So, you know, if you think the Cowboys are going to win some games to start with and going to take mm. advantage of the draw, Holmes is someone who's going to score off the back of that. 
he's actually going to do quite well. And if you break down the numbers even more, you know, he played 10 games at fullback. Now, three out of those 10 games, he went 90 plus with 102, 93, and 104 points. Three games might not sound like much, but when you consider that we're only looking at a 10 game sample size, that's 30% of the time he was going 90 plus. So it actually that's is a right, bit of yeah. a big deal. Um, cause if he does that over a season, all of a sudden you're looking at sort of, you know, eight games at a 90 plus, seven games at a 90 plus. And if he does that, he's going to be one of the best center wings that you can own for the year. Now, obviously there's downside and maybe he doesn't do it. Maybe he doesn't take much of a leap. Maybe he's got too many of those games in the thirties. It can all happen. But I think the chances are that he's going to have a good season. Yeah. What what more can we say, really? <laughs> Honestly, it's, yeah, he's ticked all the boxes. And, I mean, whether he just hovers in your side up until that um, that buy period and you can kind of reassess at that point as well. Because those middle games um, through the Cowboys season, they're actually quite scary. They've got a very tough draw in the middle there. Um, but then again, if we're talking about how well he can perform during a good draw, You'd also want him as one of your center wings to finish the season with. Um, at those, I think it was five or six games that they finished the season with. It looks quite favorable. Yeah, look, um, the more and more we talk about him, the more and more it's giving me a headache. At the end of the day, it's, it's a guy that's at 500k that can score like he does. You could sell him at the buy period or sell him even a bit before it if you think he's peaked. You know, he went above 600k mm. last year, so he's already been over 100k more than his starting price, you know. Exactly. This yeah. year. You can make a hundred K off it and then just buy him back later in a few rounds when he's a bit cheaper, maybe, you know. So you'll be able to make money out of him. Let's let's move on from Valentine Holmes. I'm a fan of him for this season, very much so. <laughs> um, but uh, then there's a bit, there's a few more trickier options though. So as far as rising guns go, um, I've seen a couple of people talk about this guy, but probably not as many as what they should be based on the sort of potential we saw out of him. Reese Robson had a, a really good season. Obviously, Granville's been there forever, but he overtook Granville as a starter come round five in 2020. And he actually played, I think it was five games of 80 minutes when Granville was out. And then sort of Granville was back in and stuff, and he ended up, you know, going 50s and 60s in minutes. But he scored really well. You know, he had a, despite the fact that he had four games at the start of the season where he started off the bench and got really quite low minutes where he's sort of averaging mm. sort of 42 minutes a game um, on a timeshare with Granville, basically. He still managed to have a 40 base for the entire year. So very much so his base is more probably in the 45 to 50 range if he's getting a full game. And he does have that attacking spark in him. You know, he had two games last year where he scored a double and he had another game where he scored a try to give him his five tries and he only played 14 games. So again, when you're looking at sample sizes, five out of 14 games, uh, five tries in 14 games is quite good. Obviously, the problem with him is going to be the fact that Jay Granville is still playing rugby league. He is still around, uh, and what Todd Payton's idea is going to be around this. Now, Granville is, I think he's like 32 at the moment. He looks well past it for about three years to me now, and Robson looks like a far better player. So, if I did my step into the coach's shoes here, I would play Reese Robson for like oh, 65 minutes minimum and mm. or 80 minutes and just not have Granville there if I could. Reese Robson comes in at 490,000. It's been spoken about quite a few times how difficult the hooker position can be. Um, we've spoken about the two dirty hookers at sort of 300k type of mark on average between the two positions. We've spoken, um, me and Billy, about having Damien Cook or Harry Grant at the real expensive end. One guy yeah. at that mid-end, if there is no Granville on the bench, 
is a Reese Robson because he is an attacking hooker who has okay base, but against the draw that he's got there at 490,000, uh, I think that he probably, at, at 56 points a game in his 62 minutes in 2020, and coming off the bench four times, has a little bit of upside there that he could take advantage of early on especially. Yeah, agreed. And look, don't get me wrong, as a Cowboys fan, I was really happy uh, with the signing of Robson after seeing his performance last season. Um, I did give a little thought to Robson this season, um, but I think it's a simple case of that there are better options in that hooker position, but that's talking about whether, uh, you know, if Granville is not in that 14 position. So, um, look, I, I did like, I'll just reiterate what you said there. Like, I, I did like how he had the balls to occasionally charge the, the pack and break the line after a sneaky dummy half run, um, which resulted in a try on a few occasions. Um, and some coaches may factor this, um, considering the Cowboys opening draw is so easy. Like, he'll charge those weaker packs. He's got the confidence to do so, doesn't he? And, and his price point's quite reasonable. So if he manages to string together some attacking stats, which when talking about a player like Robson, like he's more likely than a bunch of other players that we throw that statement around. If he scores attacking stats, he may score well. I think it's more relevant to Robson than, than other um, than other forwards, but I think he'll certainly prove to be a competitive option at the beginning of the season. Look, I'd be a little nervous forking out around 500k for his services, but I think we'd be pretty naive to rule him out completely. Yeah, if he was 400k, I'd be a lot more interested. Um, at the moment, I think his price point coupled with the fact that I think the chances are Granville will end up on the bench. That just kills yeah. me. And I sort of said that to a couple of guys that I did see him in their side. I said, look, Granville on the bench kills him as an option. You, you just can't do it. You especially can't take the risk round one. You know, he had a timeshare in games previously with Granville. You know, you can't risk him getting 45 minutes or 50 minutes. Um, you just can't do it at that price. Yeah, but exactly. if the round one side comes out and there is no Granville on the bench and it's like a four-forward bench... I think that you have to look at him as an option. Um, definitely a pot option, but a couple of things that you mentioned there with bringing up the attack as well. The new rules that came in last season, Wilfred brought up the good point that there's yet another quick quick restart now with the offside 10 meter rule. You know, it's, yeah. someone like Reese Robson is going to keep eating up these new rules. It's really going to benefit him. He's really fit being a, a small hooker. Um, so when we're talking about, you know, Lolo not being, um, unfit anymore at the start of the season as much as what he used to be. Other Fords are, and he's going to be running at them and running at packs that probably aren't that good of quality in the first couple of months during the start of a season in the summer. Um, it, you know, it's, it does have huge pod potential written all over it if he's an 80-minute hooker, but we're not going to know that until TLT. That's right, yeah. And, I mean, he wouldn't... I mean, look, he wouldn't have to be an 80-minute hooker to... Um, uh, you know, to actually consider him. Like, if he gets some decent minutes, um, like 60, uh, if he's a 65-minute hooker, for example, um, or a 60-minute hooker, he can still be considered, but he's just not as appealing. But around those minutes, there are definitely better options in the hooker position. He's just at that awkward price as well. But he is going to be exciting. Um, don't get me wrong. He's going to be great to watch. But um, we'll have to keep an eye on him anyway because he can easily produce that excellent point per minute um, at 491k. Yep, definitely one to keep an eye on. Keep an eye on TLT as well. He is coming back from a bad hamstring injury, so maybe that'll tip Todd Payton's hand too to have Granville on the bench. But um, watch for TLT, and if you want a pod, um, definitely have a bit of a look at the numbers and consider it if Granville's not there and we think that he's getting 80, then he might be someone to be watching, that's for sure. So when we're looking at the mids and cheapies, probably the first guy we'll talk about 
uh, is a bit of a Cowboys star that's returning, and that's going to be Michael Morgan. Michael Morgan's coming into the season as a dual 5'8 halfback, which is going to be handy because there isn't a huge amount of those, and he's only 386,000. So he's only 386,000 because he only managed to play six games in 2020, uh, where he averaged 51 points a game. So he's pretty heavily discounted. Now, a few good points about Morgan is obviously he's 386,000. He's got a fantastic draw. Um, you'd hope that he's going to be fully fit with a fair bit removed from um, playing last season. But in saying that, when you look at his scores in games previously, it's not great. You know, in 2019, he managed 20 games, but in 2018, he only managed an 11-game season. And really, every second season um, for about six years, he's basically had a, a major injury. So the injury concern is there. If you're going to start with him round one because he's cheap, though, um, then it probably doesn't matter too much if he's going to go down two months down because you're going to trade him out anyway. I think that the issue for me is that 2017 was his best season and it was still 59 points, which officially is just under gun status. Probably a bit torn on this one, Andrew, because the thing is I he's got a good price point in his jewel, and, you know, I, he, I think that he could probably average 50 50s, and that's going to make him some cash, and he could go on a run where he's averaging, you know, 70 for a few weeks, and that's going to make him really good cash out of that Cowboys draw. The issue that I have with him is there's actually some other pretty dirty sort of 5-8 or halfback options that you can have fairly cheaply compared to Michael Morgan's 386,000. So probably guys that I'm going to compare him to directly when we talk about him, um, you know, you've got Anthony Milford at 300,000. You know, 86,000 less than, than what Michael Morgan is. 255,000 is, is Matt Moylan. You know, that's $130,000 plus less than what Michael Morgan is. So I think that the problem for Michael Morgan is going to be that he's up against these guys. Even a, a Lachlan Lamb, if he wins that starting seven jumper for the Roosters, is going to be 310,000. So, you know, a good 75,000 less than what Morgan is and someone who will probably outperforming potentially on points basis. So I'm really in two minds. I think if it was a different season and there wasn't really any mids or cheapies in the halves, you could probably take a bit of a punt on Michael Morgan just because of the draw that he's got. But there's probably too many other options out there at the moment that are a bit cheaper, isn't there? Yeah, and, and actually, I don't have much to say about Morgan. You've pretty much just said exactly what I was going to, because, I mean, what the reason why you would consider Morgan is if you're looking to save money in your team and you want to skimp on a position in the halves, and then you've got that DPP status, um, along with the reasonable price tag and the Cowboys draw, but then you've also got those other players like Moylan and potentially Lachlan Lamb that are more appealing than a player like Morgan. So, I mean, he's he's not an option for me, um, especially not for my team makeup. And, and as I said, if you are going to look for a, a player around that price to save money and to spend big in other positions, then you do have more appealing options. So, um, nah, not, not for me this season. Um, but yeah, don't be surprised if he actually produces the goods and, and disappoints us, mate. But nah, I can't see it happening to be honest. So you don't, um, you're not too confident in Morgan this season. You don't think he's going to be going on much of a run or a resurgence? Um, I think I think there's more uncertainty. Like I don't have confidence in having. Well, I'm not confident in having confidence in Morgan anyway. Um, I suppose um, he he does have a lot of upside. As weird as that sounds, the the DPP status and the price point, he is capable of scoring well with that draw. Um, but I just don't think um, he's a player to be considered when you've got other options in those positions. That's all. And if you are going to look at skimping in the halves, then you probably consider other players over Morgan anyway. 
Yeah, that's a really fair call. Do you, do you see your house make up for the Cowboys as being uh, Michael Morgan at seven and uh, Drinkwater at six? Do you think that's how they're going to line up? Yeah, yeah, that should be the way they line up, yeah. Probably one of the other things that I don't like about that as well, then, is um, I think if it was like Clifford and Morgan, um, it would work for Morgan a bit more. Uh, I kind of see Drinkwater as a fairly similar player to Michael Morgan, where they're both guys that have played fullback before and sort of moved into the halves. They're both quite good runners of the football um, and kind of secondary playmakers as far as the type of game that they have, um, but they're both pretty high usage players as well. I think that like a pure halfback like Clifford is going to kind of organise, probably do a lot of the kicking and stuff, but allow Michael Morgan to have the ball when he wants it and to do a lot of running and stuff, whereas when it's Morgan and Drinkwater, uh, I sort of think that they're pretty similar players, and I don't know whether that's actually going to help Morgan much. No, that's right, yeah. And, and I did see a, um, a predicted team list come out not too long ago, probably a few days ago by Sporting News, and they were saying that um, that Clifford might partner Drinkwater at the halves and move uh, and move Morgan into the centre position, but I just can't see that happening. You know, as a New South Welshman, I can tell you that everyone south of your border was licking their lips when he got named at Centre in Origin, so <laughs> that should tell you a few things. I don't blame you guys at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I just can't see that Clifford and um, Drinkwater combo happening, to be honest. I mean, for the pure fact that Morgan in the halves doesn't seem like a good idea at all. So, yeah, drink, drink water and Morgan in the halves this season for sure. Yep. Keep an eye on Morgan. I mean, at the end of the day, what might end up happening is in two rounds in, if he's absolutely killed it and managed to get a ton and an 85-point score or something and you end up with a, with a half that's injured, um, all of a sudden he can become a bit of a drown gate option, at least just to grab some cash in the short term. And that's probably more where, where Michael Morgan will sit in the Supercoach landscape for the start of 2021. But SR Masters. Now, I don't even like saying his name. I actually had to work up to doing it just then <laughs> because last year, you know, you, everyone's got their couple of players that absolutely burned them really badly. And last year it was Masters. You know, he did that thing where he was completely tantalising at the start of the year with his base base attack. And for centre wing, that's just exactly what you want to see. He looked like the guy that was really motivated at the Tigers sort of in his first couple of years when he went to centre, as opposed to his last couple of years before he went to the Cowboys. And he threw up a couple of pretty nice games to start with where his first game of the season against the Broncos, he had 77 points, which had a 45-point raw base without even going the base attack. And he had a 47, 38, and 48. But the thing was he had zero attack in any, you know, in any of those games as far as his line breaks, tries, and assists. So it looked quite appealing. And then he threw out the ultimate kind of Sun Masters game in round six versus the Tigers where he went across the line and scored a try line break and had a heap of line breaks and offloads and he had 88 points. And that sold me, you know, jumped on the train, was all ready to go. All right, he's in a new club, he's ready, he's motivated. And then he went 31, 41, 22, 43, injured, gone. And it was just brutal and it really, really hurt me. So this season, I I don't think it's going to be any different, but I will say that his raw base last year, despite the fact that he had... Uh, a couple of injuries, especially at the midway point, was 28 raw base, but it was really his base base attack that was getting there. You know, he had a couple of offloads a game at the first half of, the, of his games last season and was getting a few uh, tackle breaks as well. The offloads dropped off completely, um, but he comes in at 429,000 for season 2021. He's kind of right around, you know, that expensive mid-range area. Um, but I'm mentioning him because he's had good runs and pedigree before and he's got a really good draw. 
I can't possibly recommend him, Andrew, because I recommended him last year and I bought him myself. And, you know, he seemed to start off all right and then he just fell off a cliff and he also only played half the season. But I, I could see someone like Masters, if they're motivated and he plays the game consistently that he was before, and maybe under Todd Payton, Payton gives him some confidence or brings something out in him to be consistent. He's always had it in him to be a really good footballer. He's only still 24 years of age, but 429,000 is way too much for me. Yeah, I totally agree, mate. I mean, this is a scenario where we've been offered a former super coach weapon that has struggled to be consistent since moving clubs, and now he's got an easy draw to up his appeal. Um, I mean, he scored only, what, three games over 50 points last season, so I'm really struggling to find justification to put him into my round one side, um, especially at 429k. Um, I've actually marked him as a player to monitor around that first price change in round three, but then that even seems like a waste as well, doesn't it, really? I mean, if if you're not going to have him in your starting side and he's not going to play round 13, um, then what's really the point of monitoring him? He's not, he's not really a player that can generate that much cash, especially when he's starting at that price. And like the Cowboys' easy draw doesn't really start straight away either. Like He may struggle against a team like Penrith, and, um, which you know means that any price change as well might not happen until around four or five with him. So he seems like a bit of a waste. I can't see too much of an upside. And um, I mean, look, he's, we can't. It would be silly to say that he he won't actually produce the goods in one or two or a small handful of games throughout the start of the season. But as far as forking out that money for, um, you know, someone in your central wing position, that seems a bit much, doesn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, look, I think, you know, he finished on a price point of 370k at the end of last season. If he was 370k instead of 430k, he becomes remarkably more interesting. Um, but at 430k, it's it's too much. What I will say, though, is that he's had career lows in everything last year. He was at a, a PPM of 0.6, which is his lowest ever. Um, his average score for the year ended up being 49 points a game, coming off 52 in 2019, and his garden season in 2018 is 61. You know, if he's got... Being only 24, he could get back to his gun season. It's it's in the realms of possibility that 2018 comes back at 61 points, in which case he's 12 points undervalued. You know, and that, that could happen. It's all too much of a risk, though, for Masters, and I think we both agree on that. But, you know, the potential there is, is pretty tantalising. Yeah, definitely. It is. That, it's all about that draw, isn't it, mate? I mean, he is capable of scoring so well during those opening, round, opening rounds of the season, but at 429k, it's just simply too much of a risk. Yep, and after seeing him go well for about a month of football last year, I'm going to need about 12 weeks of football of him going well for me to buy him, to know that he's yep. going to stay like that, and by that point he'll probably be 700000 so I won't do it anyway, so <laughs> forget about him. Um, done, done. Let's talk about the last guy for the Cowboys, um, and that is Gilbert. So Tom Gilbert came along, and in every predicted team that I've seen, he's a starting edge back row. Um 343,000, he's a dual front row forward, second row forward. So the dual really helps because it is a guy that, if he's got 80 minutes in an edge role, starting him at prop is quite interesting for me. As far as his games, he only played 12 games in 2020 and for his career, where he was getting 42 minutes a game and averaging 39 points. Now, when you dig a bit deeper into Tom Gilbert, um, it does become a little bit interesting. So... The predicted sides that we've got, Andrew, have got Gilbert and Dunn as the two edge back rowers. Cohen Hess has fallen out of favour yet again, which I think me and you both discussed last year that it would happen. But we, I started with him and made a bit of cash and moved him on, and then he got dropped, so it worked out well. But, you know, 
the last four games of last year uh, are the only four that Gilbert started out of his 12 games for the season. So that in itself has made him really undervalued. But when you check out those four games, he started in the 11 jersey and he played 73, 57, 56 and 53 minutes. So the 80-minute role looks a bit of a long shot. Um, but even just doing that, you know, he still managed to go 66 points, 37 points, 53 points and 54 points. And what I liked about it most is the first game he had 64 raw base. The second game was a poor game overall with 36 raw base. But then he went 53 raw base and 50 raw base. He is a base stat guy. He's not going to get attack uh, very often at all. But he looks like he can do that work. And look, if he pumped up to sort of 65 minutes a game on that edge, all of a sudden you're edging towards someone that might be a 60-point-plus player um, priced at, you know, a, a very, very affordable price point that you can put in your front row forward spot. He also played eight games off the bench, which has really kept his value down. So I'm I'm fairly interested. I guess the questions to you as a Cowboys supporter are, where do you sort of see him in the rotation? Like, is there a realm of possibility that he gets a full 80 minutes on an edge under Payton, do you think? Or, you know, do you think that he could even lose his job to someone like Cohen Hess? Where do you sort of see that rotation at? Yeah, I'm seeing the the latter more than anything. I mean, he, he will need to prove himself um, if he does score that edge spot in, on Teamless Tuesday. And you've got those players like Cohen Hess that are lingering on the bench that could quite easily um, take his spot. But um, as a DPP player at 343k, you know, I think we're all looking at the Gilbert scenario in the same way. I mean, especially after those stats that you've you mentioned, um, if we wait till Teamless Tuesday and if he gets that starting edge spot, um, then it'd be very hard to ignore at that price point because his PPM should be quite solid, um, considering he produces that base of about 0.9 um, from last season. So um, he's, he's a low-risk option. It is a little bit nerve-wracking having Hess lingering there on the bench, but um, at 343k, um, you'd almost be silly to leave him out, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I think for me it's sort of a, um, a Murdoch Masala versus versus Tom Gilbert would kind of be the battle there because they're both very much similar price point. Um, they're both dual, dual position guys. Um, so, you know, whether you think one is going to go better than the other, like it's it's hard, isn't it? Because I think that it's it's difficult to have too many guys in your side, in your in your forward pack that are sort of 300 to 400K. I think that you've either got like the top end guys or the below 300s. I think you can have Tom Gilbert, but I'm actually finding it hard fitting Tom Gilbert and Murdoch Masala in my side with, with having all those guns as well. Yeah, that's a that's a fair call, mate. Um, although the Murdoch Masala Gilbert combo may be the reason for you to get the uh, Crichton Madison Tamalolo trio, hey, in second row forwards. So you could go dirty front row forward. You know, Hus could get suspended for a couple of games, and <laughs> if TKO doesn't get kicking, which I'm not ninety nine percent sure he's got the kicking, but if that happened, you know, I, you could go. You know what? I'm going to get fifty points a game out of Gilbert and out of Murdoch Masala in the front row forward position. It doesn't average very much outside of Hus. I'm just going to go with that. And then just stack everywhere, you know, and you could do that, you know, that's, that might be something. Um, but you, you do mention Hess is lingering. Um, I think probably, you know, the glass half full, he wasn't, he was getting good enough scores, young Tom Gilbert, um, even getting sort of a 55 minute average in his last three games as a starting edge back row. So, you know, if Hess comes on, he, I don't think he's going to get less than 55 minutes, you know, and he could, he's shown that he could average about 50 points doing that. So, that's, that's not, it's not too bad, is it? Especially if you chuck him in front row. 
Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very difficult to leave him out. And I think the only reason people would leave him out, as you said, would be if you just simply don't have room for him. And it's just a little bit um, too nerve-wracking to have those two cheapish front row forwards on your field. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much, I think, the simple scenario for it. I think that it's one of those things, too, where he's not a big name. He's not someone that's... Um, I, I think that a casual football fan wouldn't even know who Tom Gilbert was at this point. Um, and I think that kind of works in his favour because a, a lot of people are going to bypass him and look at the other options. You know, Murdoch Masala's been around the traps. He was carving up the Super League quite nicely. He's got a much bigger name than a Tom Gilbert. Um, so Tom Gilbert, I don't think he's going to be hugely owned, um, but he could end up being a better cash cow than some of the others. I, I would probably temper expectations, though. If you're getting someone like Tom Gilbert in who relies heavily on base and isn't really going to score a lot of tries and stuff, even with a good draw, it might be the case that he's a real slow burn. So that's probably the downside, isn't it, Andrew? You might put him in front row forward and have to wait sort of two months to get a decent amount of um, a return, like eight weeks in trading out. Yeah, exactly right. And he's not going to be there for round 13 either, so that's a bit of a downside there too. Yep, exactly. Good stuff. Well, let's talk about the Canberra Raiders. So Canberra Raiders are going to come in this year with a, a, a few changes. Um, the most notable one, as far as the losses go is going to be John Bateman's not going to be there. Um, that's a huge loss for them. He's been injured a bit the last couple of years, but obviously been um, arguably their best their best forward or maybe equally with Papali, but he's been right up there and he's been a fantastic super coach option ever since he came into the league. Nick Kotrick's gone. Um, that's going to be missed for them a little bit as well. And then they've got Oldfield and Chris who are basically like a cover really for that back line. New faces, they don't really have anything um, worth talking about aside from Ryan James coming from the Titans, but he's coming off a pretty bad injury. He's had multiple ACLs, and um, yeah, the jury's out as to whether he's going to be more than a bench forward. But young Albert Hoppelardi comes across as well, which might get an opportunity. I really like the look of Caleb Akins, but I don't see a spot for him coming over from the Panthers other than depth. So I think that they've lost more than what they've gained. When we're looking at the Canberra Raiders... You know, we mentioned that the Cowboys have got a really nice draw. The Canberra Raiders have got a fantastic draw as well. Um, so they start off with the Tigers, Sharks, Warriors, Titans. Really good first month of footy. Um, two out of four of those are at home, which is really great at GIA Stadium. Then they go on to the second half of that um, first eight weeks where they hit Penrith and the Eels, which is a bit harder. Uh, the Cowboys game um, should be a bit easier. Um, sorry, mate. <laughs> and then uh, the South Sydney Rabbitohs <laughs> in round eight. They finish it off, though. They do have the bye in round 13, but after South Sydney round eight, they hit the Knights and the Bulldogs, which is a bit easier. They've basically got a really tough run where they've got the Storm, the Roosters, and then the bye in round 13. So after round 10 um, against the Bulldogs, you'd probably be looking at probably offloading some Canberra Raiders players. But certainly, I especially like their first month of footy. So their first month of footy of the Tigers, Sharks, Warriors, and Titans, with two out of those four being at GIO. Uh, if you want a fast start, Andrew, that first month looks really appealing for any Canberra Raiders players. Yeah, exactly right. And you'd be looking at those um, those backs, wouldn't you, for the Raiders, um, due to that first four rounds as well. Um, they've got some cheap um, backs this, this season, don't they? So um, they'll be very appealing to put into your side. Um, they've got, um, what, two players that are around that 200k mark. 
um, started well, likely to be starting the season. Um, I do love the Raiders this season, and that draw is quite good. I reckon they'll finish it in top four. Um, easing into the season with a few favourable games and finishing the season with a, a fairly uh, moderate draw. Um, yeah, like you said, no round 13 coverage, um, so we'll need to keep an eye on that when choosing our Raiders players at the start of the season. Um, but I think they've got the team and the experience and definitely the coach to finish with the Roosters and even the Bunnies in the top four. Um, Bateman is a massive loss, but I can't see anything else being too significant. Yeah, and if it's one thing that the Raiders always have, it's too many forwards. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, covering for someone like Bateman, they're, they're not going to they're not going to replace him with someone as good, but they've got a lot of talent there to put someone in that's going to be a, a very good player anyway, and they've got plenty of forwards. So they'll be able to handle that loss more than a lot of clubs will. I think they're going to be top four as well. Um, I quite like them. What I will say though is. Um, Josh Hodgson's coming back in as well, um, so that's going to help them. But at the start of the year, um, one guy that we're not going to talk about is their captain, Jared Croker. So he's actually starting out really cheap because he had a shocker of a year last year, but he's had surgery um, and going to be out to at least around three to four. So he's one of he's a mid-range guy, actually, at around 380K, but we're not going to chat about him because of that. But that is going to mean they're going to have a cheapie in there as well for a few weeks. So let's have a talk about the guns first. Josh Papali... Uh, he's their biggest gun outside of Bateman, who's now gone. He went on a massive run last year. He comes in this season at 560,000. He does that coming off a 63-point-a-game average. He has been solid as a bank as far as averages go. 63, 65, 64, 66, the last four years of his super coach averages. Uh, but 63 points per game, actually, is still the lowest in his last five years. And one thing that is concerning with Papali. You know, we mentioned about the the myth narrative on Tomalolo the last couple of years that, you know, he starts off slow and he, he can be unfit and have lower minutes and stuff. It's actually very true with Josh Papali. You know, Josh Papali's sweet spot seems to be right in the middle of the season where he calves, and the start of the season it definitely isn't. So when you have a little bit of a deep look, the first three games of last year, he only averaged 49 minutes per game, and that's a huge concern if you're looking at starting with him at 560k. Um, he's a front row forward only guy as well. Uh, the middle season portion really seems to be his sweet spot. Uh, when you're having a look at guns as well, 47% of the time he went 60 plus. That isn't particularly phenomenal. Uh, it seems to be with Josh Papali, Andrew, that he, he either completely carves up and goes on a great run of just killing it, like from round seven um, through to round 10, three out of four weeks he scored a try and looked unstoppable and basically averaged 90 points a game odd for that month of football, um, or he's just really mediocre, like the first three rounds of that 2020 season where he uh, averaged not even 55 points a game uh, and wasn't giving you a return on the investment. So I'm a big fan of Papali, but all the numbers and data and what we've seen says the start of the season isn't when you buy him. Yeah, exactly right. I'm in the same boat as you. Like, it's it's hard to ignore history when it comes to Papali. And, I mean, when he's available at only front row forward as well, um, when a lot of us do have those front row forward positions all sorted out, um, usually he is a comfort choice. I mean, he, he will provide your team with 60 points um, each season. It doesn't... He doesn't really come with an expensive price tag, um, mainly due to that output and reduced minutes at the back end of last season as well. Um, I suppose we could consider him a low-risk option, um, definitely not a, a captain choice by any means, but um, 
we we can expect some sort of consistency from Papali um, as far as not having that low floor, um, especially with that discounted price, which is nice. But um, yeah, I, I just can't see room for Papali, which you know is strange because I've seen quite a lot of teams posted in the Supercoach groups that have Papali as their their starting front row forward, which you know it's not a not a bad choice by any means. But um, I, I do think there are better options in the front row forward position, and with history um, showing that he does start slow, you know, we'd be very naive to ignore that. Oh, for sure. And look, sometimes it's it's not just looking at better options in the in the, that position of that player. It's looking at better options elsewhere that you could have if you don't spend on him. Um, and I think a lot of people sort of miss that point where they go, oh, you know, well, yeah, Josh Rapali could be the fifth best, you know, front row forward option. And he's only 560k, whereas like, you know, he, if you look at your forward pack total between second row forward and front row forward. Instead of, for example, if he was the fifth best front row forward, he might be the 20th best forward if you counter in the second row. And that's really what I think you got to do. I think you got to look at your pack as your pack. You know, your second row forward and front row forwards, I look at them together. And I sort of look at a Joshua Parley and go, well, you know, I could have all these other guys. Um, you know, Cameron Murray's only 600000 uh, someone like Nathan Brown is only the same price as what Josh Papali is. Um, and we saw last year was far more consistent as long as he wasn't injured. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys in that second row forward category um, that are probably better than Josh Papali. And if you went cheap in the front row forward in the Josh Papali spot, you can grab one of those guys, even as a reserve second row forward. Um, so I would much rather do that at the start of the season. But I think what happens in Supercoach is... You know, it, it's human nature, really. It isn't really even super coaching football. People remember uh, the feelings that they most recently had about something, and that's sort of what they cling to. And everybody loves to remember about Papali crashing over the line and scoring a great try in the finals and how good he was from the midpoint of the season and all that stuff, and they forget about the start of the season. And I really think that's what happens with Josh and why some players um, in Supercoach actually throw him in their sides. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And, and another thing um, with Papali is I think people do forget um, your starting team is all about points per dollar as well. And choosing Papali in your team can actually put that at risk um, quite easily, especially due to history. So, um, yeah, as a whole, that, that money could be better spent elsewhere. And you don't want to risk that points per dollar straight away, do you? Your season just goes downhill from there. Yeah, that's right. I mean, probably the only thing with Papali that I will say is that he is a front row forward that scores about five tries a year. Um, which for front row forwards is a lot, you know, a lot of them will score sort of zero to two tries a year. Um, so five tries is actually a lot for your front row forward spot. Um, they do have a good draw. He does go on runs. Um, four, three of those five tries he scored last year were in a one month period. So you could take the gamble if you really wanted to and say, I think that he's going to take advantage of this easy draw in the first month and he's looking at at least two tries. That could pay off. I wouldn't do it myself. I think it's too risky with what we've seen before, but it could happen. And if it does, he, you know, he could end up averaging sort of 75 or 80 points for that first month, then you're a big winner. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, mate. I mean, look, to be honest, we've only got those four games, really. And if he um, doesn't cross the line or gets that attacking stat in a in a four-game sample, which is quite likely, then then it's all gone out in the toilet, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm going to be steering clear from, from Papa and I'll, I'll monitor during the season. Another gun that that really emerged last year was a guy that I did start with and I was really happy about. And that was Tuppany. Big Joe ended up starting off really, really well last season um, and then did the Big Joe Tuppany thing where he ended up getting in, injured again, which you know, just 
Uh, well, he played 18 games out of 20 last year, but the years before he only played 14 and 16 games and obviously out of 25 game seasons. So it is the most that he's played in the last three years. Um, but the problem is that when he went down, he went down injured in round seven and then he ended up finding himself back on the bench playing reduced minutes. So it really just completely killed him. But he still ended up with an average score of 62 points a game. And he did that only averaging 57 minutes a game. And a lot of that was based around the fact that he put up his base up to 49 points a game. Uh, and he ended up in a, a lock forward role playing in the middle, whereas normally he ended up on uh, an edge a lot of the time. So the first the first game of the season, he was in Jersey 13. But the five weeks after that, before he got injured, he was playing on an edge. Obviously, Bateman went down as well, um, and uh, also Corey Horsburgh. So they ended up with a few forwards short, and Horsburgh was playing in the 13 jersey. They ended up putting Joe Tappany there, and I think that's where he really got his PPM up. So career-best PPM at 1.09, um, and that includes the fact that he did have some games on the bench. It also includes the fact that he was on edge-back row for the start of the season as well. So overall, um, you know, his points... His points ended up really good when you're taking those considerations. He had six games in the middle, five games on an edge, and seven games on the bench. Now, there was some of those games where he shifted around, um, so there is a little caveat there, but his minutes were all over the shop. You know, he averaged 57 minutes per game as a middle, and when he did that, he scored 66.5 points per game. You know, when he was on an edge, he played more minutes, but he only scored 59.6 points per game. His sweet spot where he looks like a, a decent consideration is really if he's playing in the middle really if he's got that 13 jersey. Um, and this really comes into the conversation with some of the cheapies like uh, CHN and then not a cheapie but a rising gun in Hudson Young. We're going to talk about those guys, but you know Tappany could end up on either the edge or at the lock forward spot depending on how Ricky decides to rotate his side around to accommodate Bateman not being there. So you know, Tappany at 13, um, I think that you need to probably have a look at him. Tappany on the edge... He just hasn't shown the same scoring ability and his base goes way down. Yeah, Tappany at 13 would be the only scenario where I'd actually consider him. I mean, his, yeah, his minutes, his output, his, um, his position is just all over the shop, um, last year. That was, that's really my only issue with Tappany is, is how scattered his, um, his output and minutes were. Um, if, if he does get named at 13, I wouldn't have an issue, um, forking out the 550k for his services, um, this year, to be honest. I mean, he's a solid, Base performer. I mean, he was still able to produce the the goods playing those minutes last year, but he's no stranger to producing those forty point games as well. Injury was a bit of a concern last year, as you said, but outside that top and at thirteen, come teamless Tuesday, um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be worth considering at that price point. Yeah, the price point's a little bit off putting. I mean, what I will say on the argument for tapping is. And it's going to sound like an argument against it to start with. We've never actually seen him put together a full season. Now, that's either through injury or through being yanked around positions or, or having a heap of games on the bench. That's negative, but it's also a positive because it means that he's constantly going to be undervalued. So the glass half full approach on his 2020 season could actually be argued that you know he had a heap of games on the bench, he had a heap of games in the middle, he also was hurt. Um, he was struggling with injuries at times as well. If he just played in the 13 jumper the entire year, you know, he would have scored more than 62 points a game, which was his average. He probably would have scored 67 points a game, maybe even towards 70 if he had a blinder of a year. So maybe he's a few points undervalued. You know, that would kind of be the glass half full approach. But I think that you're probably wishing for too many things to go right. 
Uh, I definitely can't consider him for round one, Andrew, um, but he was definitely a gun last year, and it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up one again this season, um, in which case I'll consider buying him down the track, but, but not for round one. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you, mate. And, yeah, it would be definitely nice to pick him up for um, the same price we did at the start of last season, wouldn't it? Oh, um, but obviously, obviously, just under just under 200k more expensive this year, so um, a lot more thought needs to be invested into it. Um, but, no, he won't, he won't make my round one side. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is really hard with the Raiders, like we can say that they lost, you know, Bateman and that's going to free up time. It's actually a massive logjam. Like, that's a real worry for me because... I'm a big Horsburgh fan. Like, I started with him last year too, and I was pretty excited and pretty happy with my returns on Horsburgh. I thought that he was playing pretty well. He was the preferred starting 13. And I think that this is probably what people need to remember with CHN. Like, he's not a walk-up starter on the edge. When Ricky Stewart started last season, his preferred lineup had Horsburgh at 13 and Joe Tarpany at edge. That was his preference. The only, re- that, yeah. the only reason it changed was because of injury. You know, but the preference was horse at 13, tarpany at edge. Now, Horsburgh in a lot of predicted sides is coming off the bench, and that's probably accurate because he's coming off a pretty long layoff and he's a big guy, might want to get his fitness up and whatever. But it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up taking that 13 jersey at some point. Um, and wouldn't surprise me as well if, if Tarpany ends up on that, on that edge just to start with even. And then that goes into Hudson Young too, who's another guy who, when both Tarpany and Horsburgh were out, um, you know, he really became relevant and he started playing, you know, he played at lock. He also played at prop and he also played on edge back row. So he's someone else who Ricky Stewart wants to get minutes to. So I really can't tell, um, what type of his season is going to look like, but that's probably a pretty good segue into talking about a bit of a rising gun in Hudson Young. So mate, I'm interested what you think of Hudson Young because I really can't pinpoint what's going to happen with this Raiders rotation, but. In the two finals games for the Raiders, he played front row forward. Um, 13 other games, he either played edge or, or bench. It's a little bit hard to take a grasp on, on where he is, but Ricky Stewart kept saying over and over again last year that Hudson Young needs to get minutes. Hudson Young has deserved minutes. He's trained the house down. He's, you know, he, he's playing really well, and he was playing very well, and he did deserve them. He comes in at 474000 Too expensive to really consider... But he is a guy on the rise, and there is an argument that maybe you know, he could be as much as 10 points below, and he's really a gun if he can play big minutes and cement a starting role. You know, he could get that 13 jumper, or he could get that edge back row jumper. You know, Ricky Stewart is a big fan, and he seems to be a bigger fan of Hudson Young than, than what he does of Harawira and Naira. And as we've just learned, you know, Harawira and Naira and Corey Horsborough are now under a cloud to start the season because they've both been slapped with drink driving charges. Horsborough is low range, um, CHN is high range, and I would expect that the high range is going to attract a, a couple of games off, potentially. Yeah, oh, you'd think so, yeah. I, I'm, I'm in shock about um, Harold Weir and I, are actually. I mean, he's been given this um, this gift of um, having a crack at a, a new, good, proven club, and he's, he's already wasted it by doing that, isn't he? It's just ridiculous. It's crazy, um, and I was, saying to, I was saying to some friends today and also some other guys I was chatting Supercoach with, like, it's not... Any sort of drink driving is bad, but low-range drink driving can be, a, you know, an accident or just being a bit careless. If you are done high-range, like, that is a massive attitude issue. Like, that is a big concern. Um, and it seems... I really like the Raiders as a club, but it does seem to be something that keeps coming up at the Raiders, that there is, you know, different issues, issues that spot up and maybe even a bit of a drinking culture. I don't know, but it's... 
high range isn't an accident. No, that's right. And yeah, he does have an attitude problem. It it's really unfortunate to watch, to be honest. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We, we can't expect um, CHN to actually start the season um, with a high range drink driving charge. So uh, we'll have to see what the rotation's like on TLT, where everyone gets named. Um, obviously, he was semi popular um, at that price, three hundred and two k. But yeah, it's unfortunate. We'll have to like just push him to the side for the time being and see what Ricky does with him when he comes back. Um, but back back to Hudson Young that you're talking about. Um, I mean, Ricky really is spoiled for choice, isn't he, when it comes to forwards and um, and and where to play him. But um, I guess with Hudson Young, um, minutes is the big question. And um, and half of his games last season were playing 80 minutes or pretty damn close, and the other half was a mixed bag. I guess my issue um, uh, is that he's already proven what he's capable of um, producing the goods, but his base can be very poor. You know, you have to be nervous knowing that he can produce 30-point games when playing 80 minutes, um, which he did on a couple of occasions last season. He certainly isn't worth the risk at the start of the season. I don't think he can be considered unless his price came right down, um, especially at that 474k mark. The only reason his price is where it is now anyway is because he finished the season with three decent scores. So I can't see too many coaches paying 470k for a player like Hudson Young. Yeah, no one's going to buy him. He's going to be a complete like 1% and under pod. Um, but I think it's more... The interest with Hudson Young is more where he's going to fit in to affect everyone else's minutes. I think that Tarpany and Hudson Young, they're going to be two starters that are going to either go edge and, and middle or vice versa. Um, and that's what's going to happen to start the season. Horse, Horse is going to be on the bench probably with a fine. Um, and CHN is going to be out for a couple of weeks, potentially more. So it's, it's a shame with CHN because, like you said, 300K, I've, I've said to multiple people, if, if he's starting at 300K, he is a must-have. And I have argued with many people about what a must-have means. And to me, there isn't very many players that are a must-have. 300K CHN starting on an edge is a must-have. He was He had 16 starting edge games back in 2019 at the Dogs. And during those games, when he played at least 65 minutes, he averaged 64 points per game. So they weren't even all 80-minute games. If he was starting at the Raiders on an edge, he'd be getting at least 65, and you can expect towards mid-60s return on his points per game at $300,000. He would have been never on side, so maybe it would have been a moot point that, he, that we're not going to get him now. But, you know, I think that he's really put himself on the behind everyone else. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back and, and probably ends up on the bench now. And he might be looking at sort of a mid-season type of option again because he's, he's stuffed up his chance to start. Such a waste, isn't it? It really is. And yeah, I mean, obviously he's not going to be in favour with Ricky Stewart or the club anyway upon his return. So um, yeah, unfortunately he's just going to be a wasted choice for now. And uh, we'll just see what happens when he returns from his um, his little break on the side. Yeah, huge potential when starting. Should be 60s when he's starting, but might not happen for a while now. Um, let's talk about some other mids and cheapies for the Raiders. They've got a few really good ones. Someone who is also coming back into the fray after much of the season off is Josh Hodgson. So Hodgson's coming in at only 374000 Now, on the surface, that seems amazing. In 2020, he only managed nine games, and he went down and... You know, he's done this quite a bit. In 2019, he played 21 games, but in 2018, another serious injury where he was 11 games. But as a result, you know, 2020 was his, his lowest scoring year by a long way 
42 points a game after coming off 54, 63, and 54 in 2017. It's easily his lowest scoring season. Um, 12 points worse than his worst season that he's had in the NRL. That all screams value. Um, and I'm not going to say it isn't because, you know, he's shown that he can be great. That 63-point season in 2018 was phenomenal. Uh, a lot of people rode him in that season, and he was a massive pod, and he paid dividends to everyone that had him in the Supercoach Finals. But when you do a bit of a deeper dive, you know, in his eight 80-minute games before he got hurt last year, he was only doing 46.5 points a game. And that's pretty disappointing for an 80-minute hooker with an eight-game sample size, which is pretty significant. You know, when you dig a bit deeper again, his base never hit 50, not once. And three out of his eight games, his base was 30s. Now, obviously, he's a very much an attacking player, um, but he was very similar in, in, in 2018 as well. And in that year, it was actually round 15 before he went more than 60 points in any game. When you have a look at the numbers it actually looks pretty gross for Supercoach. When you see on face value, you know, Josh Hodgson, big name, a guy that can hit attack, decent starting draw, really cheap in price, you know, I think that it looks a lot better than what it is. I say that, though, being someone who's been burnt by Josh Hodgson before. I've grabbed him, you know, at 440k before or whatever it was a couple of years ago, and I thought that was great. Ended up burning me really hard. Um, But 2018 is probably the thing that everyone is hoping for. You know, that was a career year where he did 63 points a game. His base was still terrible, but he managed to get the attack and everything going. So it's really whether, you know, a case of Andrew, is he going to be more 2018 Hodgson or is he going to be sort of every other year Hodgson? And I will say that if he's, you know, the other years outside of 2020, he is still 12 points underpriced. I just think people need to prepare for, for the low scores popping up. Yeah, agreed. You do need to prepare for the lower scores popping up. Um, that, that 374k price tag is quite appealing. Um, when you're looking at trying to save money in other positions to boost other positions as well. So, um, I mean, we've basically been gifted Hodgson 130k less than what he was last season. Um, and he honestly isn't really the worst option at hooker either, mainly due to that price. But I guess, um, coaches are currently snatching up those more appealing options in the hooker position. Uh, I've seen quite a lot of coaches going for that one expensive and one cheap, like the cook little combo or whatever. Um, it's really a shame when we are forced to leave certain players, appealing players like Hodgson aside due to those other options. But I think he's, I don't know about you, but he looked very, um, I don't know, uncomfortable last season. Obviously he had that um, injury, but um, he's now had time to actually um, have a rest and, and kind of get his way back into this season. And I, I think he will improve from last season. I mean, he might not be the, the 2018 Hodgson, but um, at 374K, I think he's actually worth taking a punt on, especially when you need to save money in those positions. Yeah, I think that he is worth it. And I, I look, I wouldn't talk anybody out of it. Um, I just tell people to um, have the right expectations. Prepare. Yeah, prepare yourself, because you're going to get those games at 35, 40 points. And if he's your lead hooker, uh, that's re- that's really good sting um, when that happens. Now, look, I will throw a couple of other negatives in there, and I don't mean to because I, I quite like Hodgson as a player, and I could see him, you know, doing well in Supercoach and being good by. He's cheap enough just to go for it anyway. But the other couple of things outside of the numbers, Andrew, the the rise and rise of Starling um, is a bit of a worry for me. Now he's never going to take Josh Hodgson's job, but let's put all this into context of what we know. 
Hodgson has broken down every second year since he's been in the NRL pretty badly, and it's hurt the Raiders significantly. And he's done that playing big minutes, pretty much 80 minutes a year, a game. Um, and he's also done that where he's had a bench hooker in someone like Habili, but who is more of a back rower, that could easily go in and get minutes in the back row if he had to, and, and that was fine. Starling is like a pocket rocket attacking hooker in the Damien Cook type of mould. He's hugely talented, he's young, he has to get minutes, uh, and he's probably going to be the guy that's going to be on the bench. And Ricky Stewart is probably now four or five years into you know Josh Hodgson going, you know what, I might be better playing Josh Hodgson for 55, 60 minutes and having this young kid get some minutes into him as well because Hodgson's now going on 32, coming off multiple injuries, and Starling is a gun in the making anyway. Um, that's None of that's happened. None of that's in the stats. None of that's in the numbers. But I think the concern is there. Oh, the concern is definitely there, and and simply because it makes sense, doesn't it? And I mean, Ricky Stewart would be moving, uh, looking to move forward um, with a lot of his players, actually. And Hodgson's just been, while while a solid player, he's been an annoyance in a way um, to the Raiders. So, Ricky Stewart, I think he'd have that in the back of his mind. And um, I mean, if you are going to pick up Hodgson for the start of the season, then you definitely need to monitor him and monitor him weekly as well because those minutes can um, can change quite significantly, especially with Starling lingering there in the 14 position. Yeah, and look, in 2018 when we said he had that career year of, you know, 63 a game, he still only had like 36 base or something. Like, he was still horrible at his base. So, I mean, if he's playing even, you know, 20 less minutes, you know, if he's playing 60, 60 minutes a game, he, his base goes down 25%. You could have some base games of like 29, 30 points. Um, that's possible. And if he doesn't hit any attack, you know, it's, there's some really gross scores in there where, you know, even though 374000 seems really cheap, all of a sudden he's not actually making very much money at all. Um, and that can definitely happen if he has enough scores in a row of sort of, you know, that 30 to 40 range, only playing less minutes. So um, I think there's plenty to like about Josh Hodgson. If he comes in and he just fires um, and he's still playing his minutes and, you know, moves to lock for 20 minutes or whatever to accommodate Starling, it could be one of the buyers of the start of the season and really propel you for a great start. But I think there's equal chance that it could really hurt you as well. And I don't think people are seeing the negative side of it as much. Um, probably what I'll finish on with Hodgson is there's a lot of options that are a lot cheaper that have huge upside too. You know, Connor Watson, if he starts at 13, is $100,000 less. Jacob Little is, you know, over $100,000 less as well. So those are other guys too. Uh, maybe in another year, um, I certainly would have been jumping on Hodgson because if there was no cheapies or mids, then you know it makes sense just to take the punt. I don't really know if you need to this year. Yeah, that's a fair call, mate. Yeah, I mean, you've got those other options there. It's a bit scary um, to think that a 80-minute hooker that costs 374k could actually be the reason that puts you on the back foot when the season starts. Um, it's very scary, actually, especially with a player uh, form of excellent player like Josh Hodgson. So, um, look, plenty of negatives there with Hodgson um, and obviously other options that are um, cheaper than Hodgson as well. So, yeah, it's, it is looking more and more likely um, that he's not a viable option, uh, almost at all. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. He's not going to be in either of our sides anyway. We know that much. No, he's, he's not going to be. I'm going to be going with the cheaper option and um, and probably Damien Cook at this point. But I, can, I understand the interest in Hodgson, and I'm not going to say that there's no way he's going to be successful. He could be very, very good for a few astute coaches that decided to have the balls to jump on him. Ryan James is another guy coming back from an immense injury. 
Toll, and he's coming off 2019, only playing six games, and didn't play in 2020 at all. So he's had quite a long layoff. As a result, he's only 236000 which is immensely cheap for a guy that, in 2017 and 18, averaged 60 and 63 points um, before going down early on in 2019 season. So he's a gun of the past. Um, he hasn't been for a couple of years because he hasn't been playing. But going over to the Raiders, um, he's had multiple ACLs now. Um, he is a dual position, front row forward, second row forward, only 236k. A lot of uh, predicted sides don't actually have him in the 17 even. Now, my predicted side, I've got him on the bench. Um, and I've seen two arguments for him. I've seen people argue, Andrew, that he's not relevant. Um, and I've seen others argue that he is. And, you know, I'm, I've kind of tempered the not relevant argument with, you know, yeah, like he might be on the bench and play low minutes, but I think at 230000 for me, it, it's worth enough doing it. You know, we don't get very many front row forwards that, are fast burn players as far as cows. They're almost all of them are slow burners. I do hate having, you know, bench forwards, uh, especially bench front row forwards in my side for round one because, you know, they are by definition uh, most of the time super coach poison that just don't score enough points and just plot along and kill you. But Ryan James does have the pedigree. Um, and if he is getting 40 minutes a game or thereabouts, you know, he can score 40s in his points. Um, and that's going to yield pretty good results and not be a terrible AE. Um, you know, the downside is you might end up out in and out of the side, um, or you might end up really being eased in at maybe, you know, the, the lowest minute bench forward at sort of 20 minutes a game, and that's just going to be a killer. But, I mean, 230k odd, you know, my argument for him is, you know, if there isn't anyone that's a standout starter that's going to be sort of in that range of sort of 200 to 275, then I kind of think you've got to plug these sort of guys in, right? Otherwise, you just can't balance your pack out. Yeah, that's a fair call. Look, he's not in my um, predicted 17 for the Raiders. I think with Harawira Naira possibly gone, he may sneak into a bench spot. Um, but I think we need to kind of we, – we need to know what's going on with Harawira Naira as well. Um, he's the type of player that would slot straight back into the 17 once he comes back, if he is gone. Um, but – I think we just simply need more info on what's going on with James. If he is named on the bench um, in the Raiders' side, then I think we just need to know when Harawira Nair is coming back because it could be a complete waste just to put him in there for, you know, two to three rounds or whatever, and then he's disappearing again. We've got to waste a trade to get him out again. So um, I think for me at this stage, he won't be in my super coach side purely for that reason. I just... I need more information about what's going on with the actual 17 itself and, and mainly Harawira Naira, um, especially with James doesn't appear in the actual 17 come TLT, then um, I'm not sure what to do with him there. I don't, I don't see a purpose with him as well. And I mean, as a bench forward at 237K, he could be a, the AE nightmare, as you said, but B, he might not actually generate that much cash. Yeah, it's, look, it definitely could take a couple of months to get sort of ninety to 100000 out of him if that. Um, I think the the good thing with the Raiders is that if they have Starling on the bench, there's obviously going to be three forwards on the bench. And if CHN's on the bench, he's likely going to spell um, an edge back row. So you're going to be left with kind of two middles and one of them's going to be Ryan James. So that should all but guarantee him better minutes and maybe some other rotations will. So it looks okay. Um 
I think that it comes down to TLT, not just if Ryan James is starting, and he is in my side at the moment, but if there's any other options. You know, like if uh, a Bloor is, is starting or, or going to get good minutes for the West Tigers, um, you know, you'd, you'd have him instead. Um, if some other guys pop up, you'd have them instead. But if none of these guys in that bracket of, of sort of rookie price to 250k pop up that are viable options come TLT, then I'll probably have Ryan James in my side. Because there isn't, aside from the AE nightmare possibility, there isn't a huge amount of downside, really. He's only 230-odd-K. That's fair, mate. And, and you know, keep in mind, he's got that DPP status, so that'll always come in handy when it comes to, to forwards as well. Yeah, and look, when when Josh Papali plays Origin mid-season, um, Ryan James is going to have half a season under his belt. Fingers crossed he's not injured. You know, that could be um, a, a few-week period where he ends up starting. Um, and Ricky has been known to bring some of those guys off the bench, you know, after, during Origin, when Papali can play, maybe he comes off the bench, you know, um, Tarpany was arguably one of their best forwards at the start of last year, and still found himself returning from injury with a bit of a lingering effect on the bench, so, you know, Ryan James might have potential in a couple of months to start, and if he's healthy, he's got the pedigree to make the most of that, could go through a three or four week period averaging 60 points a game. It's a long way away from round one, but you know, it's these are the sort of things I think that you need to consider because one of the things that I do see teams doing, and I do this myself as well sometimes, is I go, you know what, there's no one cheap enough to make my team in front row forward or second row forward for TLT this year. I'm just going to put a dual nobody in there, and I'm just going to have a nobody from round one. Um, and sometimes that works out, and you just sort of have to do it to get the team that you want, but you are better off just throwing a Ryan James in there because at least if you, you know, get stuck, he is going to be someone who is going to play. He does have some upside and he's still relatively cheap. Definitely, mate, yeah. And, I mean, if that scenario pulls off where um, he does get a few games under his belt and then makes a little bit of cash through the origin period um, with Papali gone, then um, that'll be perfect as well. And, yeah, as you said, like those um, uh, dual position either NPRs or a player like James, they'll come in handy. At 237K, it's very hard to actually ignore him completely as well. If you didn't consider him for round one, he's got to be on your watch list all the way through the season anyway. Yeah, I mean, at, at worst, too, he might be a downgrade option down the track if he proves his fitness and gets some start during Origin. Um, exactly. Let's move on to a few of the other Raiders cheapies. Um, Bailey Simonson, you know, Catfish was on him to start last year. In 2020, the first two rounds, he started on the wing. Mixed results, um, had 26 points round one. A bit better, 53 points round two, but he did that with a try. And then he was out of the side. I believe he had a bit of an injury. Came back in and, and only scored 19 points in an 80-minute performance. So he's definitely got the dirt in him as far as Supercoach scores. Had two games on the bench after that. Two games on the wing. The second game, he got injured in round nine. Did his shoulder, was out for the season. So, very interrupted season of only seven games. Averaged 59 minutes per game across that, only 23 points per game. Really, there were these bench games, which were not even worth talking about because they were five and seven points. That really affected his average. His average would have been probably 35-ish if he, um, if you discount those bench games and also the injury, which isn't great, you know, especially when you consider he had a couple of tries in there. So, he didn't really show us anything last season, Andrew, but, you know, the season before, he averaged 70 minutes a game, and he had a 38-point-per-game average. So definitely, you know, if he's starting, he's at least 15 points underpriced, you would think. Realistically, you know, he could easily average um, mid-40s with a good Canberra run to start the season. And then all of a sudden, he might be, 
you know, 100% underpriced. He might actually double his 23 average that he's priced on and have a 46 average to start the season. A lot of predicted sides have him at his price point. Uh, I think that he's a very good shout at 205,000. I've got him in my side at the moment. I don't think that he's going to be leaving it just because he's got the opportunity there and a, and a good starting draw. Yeah, and the question for me is whether Simonson is worth throwing into uh, my starting centre wings or do we just push him aside and, and have him as an NPR generating coin? I think we'd be playing him in those first four rounds with the um, easy opponent, but you can't really leave him out of your complete super coach side at 205k. I mean, his price is obviously low enough to be able to do so, and I'm sure he'll produce those attacking stats during the opening favourable draw, and where we can then reassess what to do with him at a later point. He's an obvious AE nightmare for those coaches using the loop, um, but if you're not concerned about that, then your decision is made a lot easier. He didn't exactly do a lot last year, as you said, and don't be surprised if he doesn't make enough money, but it seems really difficult to leave someone out altogether when you're paying a very similar price you would um, for, say, a rookie as well. Yeah, for sure. I've got him in my side, but if there is cheap rookies that sort of pop up everywhere, um, I'll be taking those instead and saving the 30k because we haven't really seen anything of Simonson to show that he's going to score well and he's got a terrible base. So really depends yeah, on CLT. Exactly. Totally agree. But there's another guy, Timiko, who, you know, with Croker out, he's going to get an opportunity based on a lot of different team lists. I, I'm not sure what to do here. So he's going to be the odd man out when Croker returns. You know, Croker could return as quickly as round three. This guy's only got two games under his belt in his career, so we can't really take anything out of the games that he's played. 203000 similar price to Simonson, but Simonson's going to have the job security going forward potentially. Tibico could be out as early as round three, and then you don't get a price rise. Maybe it's round four, and then you get one. Maybe there's other injuries or there's complications, and he sticks around. It's it looks kind of trappish to me. I think a fair few people will just jump on whatever cheap is a name, but you might actually be disappointed with this one. He's got big wraps on him, Tibico, and I think that he might he might come through and be a player of the future for the Raiders, but he's not going to keep Croker out of the side. So to me, I'm I'm staying well away, and I'd I'd rather just put Simonson in just purely because of the um. The job security. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of promise with Timiko, um, but for me, he's a simple case of, well, he's only going to be probably play two games and then he'll be out of there completely. He won't come back unless there's an injury um, in the back, so um, I'm not going to, I'm not willing to take that risk at all. So, no, nah, he's not in my side this year. Yeah, I think it's a huge mistake. Like, I, I think it's a huge mistake because the thing with Timiko is that if he goes, if he goes two games and then he's um, replaced by Croker, you had no reason to start with him round one. You know, even if he gets one price rise, you still didn't really have much reason to start with him round one. He's a perfect downgrade option down the track. If they have a, a backline injury that's going to keep someone out, you know, four plus weeks, you jump on him with a negative break even, and you know well in advance that he's named and definitely going to play and definitely going to make money, and then you just go from there. Um, he's a great downgrade option for the future, and that's sort of how I view him. Yeah, same here, mate. Yeah, he's, if you did start with him, you know you get to round three and he'll be stuck in your side as an MPR or whatever and you'd be kicking yourself because you knew exactly that this was going to happen <laughs> prior to the oh, yeah. starting. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. 100%. Look, and um, let's let's move on from the cheapies. We're going to talk about... Um, you know, I didn't think that the Cowboys had too many real mistakes that people might go for or, or guys that were, were huge traps or anything. I do think that it's a bit of a mistake to run with uh, the Canberra Raiders halves. So 
Uh, you know, George Williams came in, had a really solid season, you know, and we kind of thought that he would. He scored 53 points a game, um, had a decent attacking game where he was good at getting the line breaks and, and then the try assist or the line break and the try himself. Um, managed to do that quite a bit. So, like, as far as the NRL goes, I think Williams did well for his first season. As far as super coach goes, I think people think that he went a lot better than what he did. You know, he had two games that were 98, 96 points, but didn't actually get over the ton mark. Had some other good games, but also had, you know, the the 37, the 24, the 24, the 29. A lot of the lower score games, you know, 26 base, but overall pretty solid. Close to 500k. Um, he's not someone that I think anyone should consider, but I have seen a few teams sort of go, um, well, you know, sub 500k price range. There isn't really many halves. I'll go for him. I will throw out there that Moses is around about the same price point and a far, far better option, um, even though I'm not saying Moses is phenomenal. Um, and the other half, obviously, for the Canberra Raiders is Jack Whiten. And Whiten has never been particularly super coach relevant, um, but he had his best super coach season of all time last year. 58 points per game, a shade below gun status, and he's only 516k at the 5'8 position. Now, when you have a look at Whiten's year, Andrew, he had some, some stellar runs. Um, but when you dig a bit deeper and you have a look at it, his stellar runs were all about try scoring. Like, if he wasn't scoring tries, his scores were pretty average. And basically, the Whiten that we've seen before where he's not really worth owning in Supercoach. So, you know, to finish off the year, in round 15 and 16, he went 95-109. And he did that scoring a double in each of those games. The next game, he didn't score and had 28 points. And then the next game, he scored a double again and had 102 points. You know, three out of four games, he had a double, and he just absolutely killed it. The problem is that he's not going to score tries every week, and I think that people uh, forget that White is a much better real-life player um, than what he is a super coach player. So I reckon that because of the price points, these two could be a little trappish in that people are scrambling to go around that 500K mark, what have I got to get in the halves? and they're starting to look at these two. Yeah, uh, um, my opinion is exactly the same as yours, mate. Actually, it's funny you should mention about White, and he, he reminds me of Lockyer when it comes to um, like how good he is on the field compared to what he is like in the Supercoach world, where you know Lockyer was amazing on the field, but he didn't, didn't necessarily translate to the Supercoach world. Um, my, my, issue, my issue with these guys is the inconsistency and the fact they, they both come at that awkward price point. Look, there's no doubt they can produce the goods um, without a doubt, but they do rely way too much on those attacking stats and scoring tries. Um, while I wouldn't pick any of these guys in my starting side, a player like Whiten, for example, could quite easily be a successful supercoach super option this season. Um, I don't think that small sample at the start of the season, those four games um, where that the, the opening month is actually quite favourable, I don't think that's actually enough for me to, to be convinced to... Um, pick halves that rely on attacking stats so much or rely on tries so much. Um, so, no, look, I, I can understand why you put these guys as a, a mistake. Um, I don't think they're worth considering. And, you know, for example, Moses would be a much better option, especially with his draw, um, than Whiten. Yep, totally. And, look, guys, you might see Whiten come out and, and score a ton, you know, week two after they've had a harder game in round one and then week three back it up with another ton and go off. Oh, you know, look at White, he's on fire this year. This is what he does. You know, it's 95% is 
he's not going to continue on a run that's going to see him have a, a gut average. You know, he's going to fall down with some lower scores because it's what he does every single year. He's definitely going to be an option. Maybe George Williams might have been an option at some point, but it's going to be when they become value. You know, White will drop at some point and be really cheap, and you'll need to downgrade someone or have an injury, and you'll see that White has got, you know, three-plus matchups mid-season or after Origin. You know, we'll probably talk about it on this podcast, and I'll probably say White has become a buy. That's for a run. You know, he's a perfect run player. He's not someone to start with round one at all. Even if he goes nuts to start the, the draw, um, he'll come back down just as quickly, and you'll end up burning your trade, you know, five, six weeks into the season on him to try and scramble to, to pay extra for a, a Cleary or Munster or any of these other halves. So I'd see you right away. On that note, that is the podcast for the Cowboys and Raiders team previews. Andrew, thank you for jumping on. It's been great having you back on and, and for everyone else to, to hear you after the Points Per Minute podcast has been on hiatus. Mate, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'd love to come back if you'd have me. And um, yeah, with the Points Per Minute podcast, Fingers crossed we come back next season, eh? Thanks very much. We'll definitely get you on during the season as well. Thanks for listening, everyone out there as well. You can uh, obviously download us on iTunes where you can subscribe as well as SoundCloud, and we are now added to Spotify after many people ask. So we're on all three of those platforms for you to download or listen to stream. You can follow us on Twitter as well, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. I mentioned too that I'm going to have some uh, listener leagues. Some will be free and some are money leagues if anyone wants to jump in. Um, I've said that on Twitter, so follow us on Twitter um, and we can chat on there. And if you're interested, send me a private message. Otherwise, it's been really fun doing the previews. We're going to have two more fresh previews next week with a fresh guest that has never been on the podcast before that is another podcast host and a night's tragic. So that's going to be an interesting one. Um, Stay tuned for next week. Good luck with your teams and we'll chat again soon.